Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. This is your host, Christina Orlova. Here we will talk about all things OCD. For more information and to contact me with questions, you can go to www.coreresults.com. That's K-O-R-Results.com. Welcome to OCD Whisper Show. Today with me, I have Mike Hetty. Mike is the co-owner and co-director of the Anxiety and Stress Disorders Institute. For over a decade, he has specialized in the treatment of OCD, anxiety disorders, and related conditions. As a former adjunct professor, Mike enjoys teaching. He's a faculty member of the International OCD Foundation's Training Institute, where he runs clinical consultation groups and has produced training webinars on topics related to OCD, such as intimacy and relationships and shame. Mike also has produced trainings for the ADAA, NOCD, and numerous group practices across the country and frequently presents at annual conferences for the IOCDF, ADAA, and he utilizes CBT, ERP, ACT, and ICBT for the treatment of OCD. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I really wanted to um, have you on here because I know that you do trainings on inference-based CBT, and, and I know that you know, I've had some episodes about it, but I really was interested in talking to you a bit more today about some very specific topics, because I think there's some couple of things that keep coming up for folks, you know, and you're somebody I see as um, who definitely, obviously, when you train it, then that would assume you're kind of a specialist in it, right? So um, I think, you know, one of the questions that I, I know folks have is with inference-based therapy, ICBT, what kind of a therapy is it? Um, sometimes I know there have been things like, is it a metacognitive, cognitive, behavior? Like what, what realm, where does it fall? So if you can, if we can maybe start there. Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, and I'll begin with saying that sort of I have used um, the word metacognitive to apply to ICBT, um, especially in the early days of trying to introduce this to the uh, U.S. clinical community. Um, I thought metacognitive was a word that was much more familiar than, say, inference processes um, to the U.S. clinical community. Um, and so I was like, well, it, it seems like it's close because it's not dealing with a disputation of content. We're not telling you to dispute content or to refute content and then asking you if you believe this thought 50% less or 100% less, which is kind of traditional cognitive therapy for like depression. We're not doing that. We're doing this other thing. We're not really doing exposures. So what is it? And in a way, I thought that the metacognitive label would fit. It's kind of a clunky way of introducing it, but it's not really a metacognitive therapy per se. I mean, we can unpack that a little bit if, if that's okay. What, yeah, absolutely. What's different, you know? mm -hmm. so, so metacognitive therapies are like addressing metacognitive issues in therapy is usually addressing one's beliefs about a thing or one's relationship to a thing. So in OCD, metacognitive applies to one's relationship or beliefs or appraisals about an unwanted thought. And so different treatment processes like ACT, metacognitive therapy, and cognitive therapy for OCD, they're all actually already doing that. Mm -hmm. they, uh, they approach treatment towards obsessions as changing your relationship with or your appraisals about the unwanted thought. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. not doing anything with the thought itself, right? We're not dealing with the content. We're dealing with your belief about the thought, the belief about, um, or I should say, uh, your relationship with it. Um, and so that's what makes it meta, right? We're not challenging the content and we're not going after how much you disbelieve the thought or believe the thought now after we've challenged it with evidence. That's very basic cognitive therapy for depression. It hasn't been applied to OCD for a very long time in that way. So we could argue that ACT, cognitive therapy for OCD as it stands today, and metacognitive therapy, which is a brand name Mm -hmm. from Adrian Wells in the UK, they all approach unwanted thoughts the same way. They see the genesis as being the same. The unwanted thought is normal. It's naturally occurring. It's just kind of random space junk floating around your consciousness Mm -hmm. that then just haphazardly stumbles into your awareness. And then the problem begins when you start believing that it's a problem, appraising it as a problem. And it's that interaction. That's those models. The very different is ICBT. Mm -hmm. ICBT doesn't see the problem as your relationship to the thought or your beliefs about the thought because it sees these processes not as intrusions but as inference processes or to put another way a reasoning process that leads you to conclude i should doubt something very specific about the here and now and ICBT attempts to address the inference process directly. Mm-hmm. So it is actually more aligned with a cognitive therapy than it is with a metacognitive therapy. Um, yeah. So, so in that way, you know, um, I think it's, it's more apt to call it mm-hmm. a, a cognitive therapy, what they're calling it now is a cognitive behavioral therapy, but I think it's a big C cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, yeah. And so, we can we can dive into other questions you might have about that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think for anybody listening, um, I mean, that's a great kind of distinction that we're making. But I think there there would be a question about well, what is then? Can we define as well as you just define kind of you know the metacognitive? Let's define what then that means cognitive therapy specifically inference based um, approach. Yeah, yeah, let's go further because I don't think I don't think that uh, they'd be satisfied, uh, Fred or or. Um, the now late Kieran O'Connor with calling themselves a cognitive therapy for OCD because it already exists. There is already a cognitive therapy for OCD and they see themselves as different. I agree. I think they're quite different. And what makes them different is, is that they're dealing with inference processes, reasoning processes, faulty reasoning processes that arise before for reasons. And they're dealing with how the inference arises, how the inference is constructed. And so it probably doesn't surprise you or, or anyone else who's sort of um, started to learn ICBT that, that Fred and Kieran have probably thought these things through. And they, they came to the conclusion to call it inference-based approach to OCD, right? Or now inference-based CBT, because it's the best thing to capture what it does. It addresses an inference process. It sees the inference process as the key, the core thing that needs to be changed in OCD. Um, So it's not the beliefs about the inference. It's not the relationship to the inference. It is the inference process itself, how it comes to be, how it comes to, you know, capture your attention, how it comes to be selectively applied here, 
but not here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I think the nuance comes in. It's an it's an inference based approach, um, and we just need to get a little bit more familiar with what inference means, yes. Um, right? Yes, because I mean, I, th- I think, and and on another episode, and in general, there's a lot of mishap. And I'll be honest, even for myself, when I was first learning it, I, th- I think this is what I hear quite commonly for everybody. It's we ourselves confuse it for you know, oh, is this going to be some reassurance? Am I going to be like, okay, you're saying I'm not going to address the content, but am I then going to kind of like fight with myself to then say, okay, that's not relevant. This is relevant. So that it still seems like it might be a reassurance, mm-hmm. right? But that's of course not what it is. So yeah, maybe we can touch on that for a moment too. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, and I can, I can probably quote Fred all day long and um, I won't do that, but a lot of, a lot of this comes from my interactions with him and my readings of him and Kieran's work is, you know, um, from the ICBT standpoint, the issue isn't how can we get you to argue your way out of this narrative, this faulty inference of doubt. Um, it's, it's, can we show you that you reasoned your way into it? Can we show you the things that were set up ahead of time that led you into this story? Mm-hmm. And, and if you can see it, then you can realize whether it's something that is worthy of being trusted and perpetuated or not. Um, and there's a whole sort of guided process through the different modules that show that. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're going to just unpack inference for a second, because I, like many, you, um, have looked at that word and went, I actually had to, like, I kind of knew what it meant, right? I Googled yeah. it and I'm like, all right, right. it means this. <laughs> I hear what they're saying. I had to chew on it for a little while. And what, what seems to help me, you know, uh, I, I hope it helps others, is that it really is just a conclusion to doubt something. That's all it is. An yes. inference, right? So when an inference works well, right, um, it, it, it leads to a kind of, of uh, like I say, a belief. But I'll get specific. When a faulty inference functions, it leads you to doubt something you shouldn't have doubted, right? So these inferences to doubt a conclusion to doubt something. And this is happening in the present moment, right? Right. So like I'm, I'm living my life. I'm going through my day. I'm not constantly doubting everything all of the time. That's just not how people live. People with or without us, they don't live like that. They doubt very specific things at very specific times. Right. Right. So like the hit and run OCD case, I use that example a lot. The person isn't doubting until they get on the road and drive down the road and then maybe they hit a bump. Then the doubt shows up. They have concluded to doubt something about this moment. And there's reasons for it. So these aren't intrusions that suddenly happen to show up because I hit a bump right? These were inferences about this circumstance that led me to doubt something. In this case, doubt whether I hit a person Mm -hmm. or not. Um, But you can apply that to all subtypes or presentations of OCD, that the doubt arises in this moment. And all we're saying is that there's an inference of doubt, a conclusion to doubt something specific where it didn't need to be, right? So the doubt was false. And that's all they mean by inference process. Right. And it inference is like a workable kind of reasoning. We understand it. It's a kind of inductive kind of reasoning that leads us to a conclusion about something. Um, 
I hope I didn't muddy the water with that answer. No, I mean, I don't think so. I think it's pretty clear. And, and, you know, there's another comment you made that I think is worthy of highlighting, which is, you know, really, really looking at these processes as they're as they're relatable to the here and now, right? And making sure, you know, is my reasoning and is kind of how I'm taking information in and arriving at these conclusions and these inferences, right? Is it in context? Is it relevant? Is it here and now? Or is it all in my mind where I'm getting absorbed into all these endless hypothetical possibilities and scenarios of all the things that could be and maybe and what if this and could be that and I may et cetera et cetera and we get lost in that internal um story basically for lack of a better word and really from everything I understand so far that is where the inferential confusion comes in because that place starts to get treated for reality when reality is happening literally before your eyes and one of my best things that I've kind of taken and love to use, and even for myself, because I am a clinician who also has OCD, is, you know, am I seeing something with my literal eyeball and iris, or am I seeing it with my mind's eye? Um, because they're completely different things. Um, and for folks with OCD, it's like, right, no, I do do that normally and regularly. But when I'm triggered, suddenly something else happens, and I, for some reason, cannot do those very basic functions that I that I do tend to do at other times. Um, and so kind of learning what that is and how do I come back to engage and use those regular functions. So in this um, kind of therapy, one of the distinctions I keep hearing and seeing really, it's not just uncertainty. It's, it's about how do you start doubt? Re- how do you, how are you starting to doubt reality and yourself and what you know of yourself or some basic common sense knowledge we all have? So it has nothing to do with that because it has everything to do with really kind of re-anchoring back into reality, into your own sense of being your entire sense of being not just this thing you think you could be but who you actually are day to day what you actually do that those things you do know about yourself um right. got it very well said yeah i think that you you, you did a, a wonderful um a summary there like yeah there's been a lot of conversation um about sort of does uncertainty fit into the icbt model of course uncertainty is sort of a an awareness that I don't know enough, or maybe sometimes referred to as an emotion, they show up as byproducts of the doubt, right? So like if I wasn't doubting, the uncertainty in this moment wouldn't have risen up to distress Mm -hmm. me, right? So your point about the here and now being so incredibly important from an ICBT perspective is right on. You know, Anything is possible. Anything could happen. But that's also irrelevant when we understand how, how OCD is provoked in the moment, right? Right. So, so <clears throat> the doubt shows up. People have, they arrive at a, a decision to doubt something because of reasons, because of an event. Um, and it's not what we might consider abstract possibilities that causes OCD, if abstract possibilities caused OCD, the prevalence rate would be way higher than 2%, <laughs> right? It's something different than abstract possibilities. So while it's true to say there's a bunch of scenarios I can give you where you can't know something for sure, I'm not debating that. ICBT doesn't debate that. It sees that as irrelevant because that's not the cause of OCD. The cause of OCD is a highly specific kind of of doubting a verb a thing i am doing that's provoked in this present moment that ought not have been done the doubt isn't warranted because it doesn't arise from reality or common sense it arises from hypothetical places from the imagination 
And like you said, that can take some time for people with OCD to pull that apart because they've spent years, if not decades, sort of merging those two things in these selective environments. Yeah, that actually leads me to my next question. Um, I think it's a beautiful segue, which is exactly right. So I'll say um, kind of to talk a little bit about if you can share with us, you know, what have been your successes or challenges in implementing ICBT in in your practice? Um, Because I will say that definitely some people, one thing that I'll just say quickly I see is that people definitely because they've been so habitually used to doing this stuff, it's so it's such an auto autopilot kind of mode they're in and automatic that half the time sometimes people are like, what? I, I don't know what 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 doubt is. Like it, it takes a minute to slow down and really start to connect and pay attention and, and then start to actually uncover this um, because it's just so ingrained because it's, you know, just such a built habit over, you know, length of time. Oh yeah. And that, you know, so, so from two different perspectives, I'd like to answer that question. The one is the perspective, which is the currently the larger caseload that I carry is people who've had ERP either from me or from other clinicians. And I mean, good ERP. I don't like mean like, you know, some people say maybe you didn't get good ERP. No, these people had good ERP. They, they added values work. They addressed, um, they addressed motivational issues. Like they had good ERP. It just wasn't getting them better. They were getting stuck or it wasn't working, uh, which we know can happen, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, no treat, no treatment is perfect, right? right. We, we, we don't, we don't want to sit here and pretend like the treatment's going to work perfectly. If we, you know, if we do all the, right uh, we fill yeah. in all the potential cracks to all the right things, no, it can still <laughs> fail. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- with those people, um, trying to sort of start new can be, challenging right because mm-hmm. they've probably been uh they've probably been hearing the message like not only do we have to tolerate not knowing right like that that a huge perpetuating factor here is the the urge that you need to know that ocd wants perfect and absolute certainty and that you even trying to go there is just compulsive and unhelpful mm-hmm. and so we have to tolerate uncertainty they've also heard um heard things like you know uh, the issue here is about avoidance. It's about anxiety. It's about compulsions. We're trying to address this. So when I'm trying to introduce ICBT, right, it's new in, in that it doesn't see OCD as a disorder that's primarily about avoidance or anxiety. Mm-hmm. It doesn't see OCD as an exaggerated phobia. It doesn't see OCD as an anxiety disorder. It sees it as a doubting disorder, right? And not the doubting disorder like I feel doubts. No, mm-hmm. I'm doubting as a verb. I'm deciding to doubt. That's where the disorder lies. So that's the switch that can be difficult, right? We're, we're actually working in what they call upstream processes. So making that switch for people with ERP histories can be a little bit challenging. We're going to work on a different angle. So I'm usually pretty vulnerable with my clients going, hey, it looks like we're not getting you better or we're stalled. It's been a while. Uh, instead of continuing to push this, would you be okay if we maybe tried something new? Mm-hmm. And then I just briefly explain that, that this we're going to be addressing the upstream doubts, the doubts that started this whole thing. And we're going to be doing it in this, in this way. Would that be something you'd want to do? Then we move into the, the first session of ICBT, which I think is, is primarily about slowing down Mm-hmm. making sense of the process of OCD in the moment as it arises. It, it, it can follow a sequence. It's a very workable and tangible sequence that just helps people make sense of very complicated situations. 
Mm-hmm. And in that first m- module, they call it, no matter how complex and difficult your OCD is, the one great thing about this is that it begins with a doubt and we just need to find it. Right. And so that's usually, that's the hardest thing with people with, with ERP histories. With new folks who've never had any OCD treatment at all, which is rare because of Instagram and mm-hmm. Twitter and self-help books, they've probably heard about ERP already. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit easier to start because we just go right out from the gate and explain from a psychoeducational perspective. Actually, this it begins with doubts, and 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 we can work on the doubts. And then I might, um, I might offer a choice to a client. Like there's there's two ways of approaching this issue that are evidence based. One works on the doubting that starts everything. And one works on the reactions to the doubts, which is going to be the anxiety and the compulsions or avoidance behaviors. Where would you like to start? Right. And, and, and so I think choice is important because, you know, client autonomy is probably one of the most important ethical issues with our, within our field. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I think the issue really is just trying to figure out, you know, what would an adequate dose of treatment look like before we want to switch? We have that issue with ERP. We have that issue with all treatments. What does an adequate dose of treatment look like? I tend to think it, it varies between clients. Clients with overvalued ideation might need a longer dosage of a treatment. We might want to go after these modules for a longer period of time before we decide that they are or are not working. And I think the same thing could be true with, with ERP, that you know you don't want to give up on ERP after five sessions. Right. Right. But if a client absolutely refuses ERP completely and they're going to abandon treatment altogether, we don't have to then sort of allow that to occur if we know another treatment that doesn't focus on exposures or behavioral work. Right. right? We, we can shift over. Yeah. Um, and so my last question for you is with this conversation, do you find that, because I think this is a question that has come up from just people in general and clinicians, but do, do you think folks need ERP after doing ICBT treatment? Um, I know that ICBT postulates when you do it well, that the idea generally is that then if you can resolve that doubt, there's really, then you're not getting stuck in any of those places. So you literally just go live your life, which of course in ERP would say like, that's kind of like, that is the big exposure, right? Literally just living and doing whatever you need to do. Um, but do you find ever or sometimes even if or when you do ICBT modules that you do or clients do need ERP afterwards? Well, I think it, it really depends. Um, you know, like it, it's such an idiosyncratic experience, right? Person to person is different. So someone might make such incredible gains with ICBT work that they just start to live life normally because that's the normal progression of the treatment, right? They, they've stopped putting extra effort into their life with compulsions and avoidance because they no longer see this doubt as a threat. The doubts show up less and less and less. And then I think there's other people who they might get, you know, some of the way better. And then what really seems to hook them is, is that they have high levels of anxiety, sensitivity, or they're they also have co-occurring panic attacks or other kinds of issues that are better treated with an exposure model, right? Exposure models are incredibly, incredibly potent for anxiety and avoidance. Mm-hmm. And if those things are so potent that the ICBT isn't isn't able to, to sort of get the progress we're looking for, yes, of course, we'd want to add that in. Um, 
you know, and I think every model says if it works perfectly, you don't need to do something else, right? So if ICBD works perfectly, then you're better at the end of it. If ERP works perfectly, you're better at the end of it. And I think what's probably true is that there's probably some combination depending on the patient, depending on what they present with, that they might need to do exposure work. They might need to do DBT. They might need to do something else for sure. Um, and I think that can that can largely depend on co-occurring issues or um, the unique presentation that the client brings to the table. Yeah, that's, um, I'll say that's definitely what I've been finding as well in terms of implementing ICBT. And then there are some folks um, where, yeah, it's, it's very much case by case in general. And just, and I think one of the things that you just said that I do also want to highlight, because I think it's important for people to hear is that there is flexibility. It's not like it's this purest one and that's it. It's, it's, it's the exciting thing is that there, it, there, uh, there are a little bit more options in, yeah. in this model. We're actually, we are able to pull back the curtain and actually let's address what is underneath there going on in your mind, because it is there. And, you know, as much as, you know, from different lenses, we might say, oh, you're ruminating or let's practice not engaging with rumination or shutting it down or distracting from it, et cetera. That can be one way, sure. But I think also in reality, I think what probably we'll see and know is that sometimes you, you, you really can, you keep kind of getting stuck in that place because that's what we do as humans, we think. And so, you know, I, I think ICBT kind of really gets at this underlining different process and really allows it to have some space and, and kind of gives it the mic and says, let's, let's talk about it. Let's address it. Let's really look at it and, and uncover it. And, and that I think has been a beautiful addition. Um, again, just to give that option. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's another beautifully said summary um, <laughs> is yeah, these can complement each other. This is not religion. I'm not saying you have to be Jewish or Catholic or right. Like what we're, what we're saying here is, is that um, there's a, there's a different way of looking at something that can be really helpful. Um, and we might need to incorporate ERP or ERP could incorporate ICBT. And th the only thing we need to be cautious about is to not water down either approach, right? So right. if you're coming from an ICBT lens to keep fidelity to the model, we treat inferential confusion. We treat that that faulty decision to doubt something. Um, so there are things we would have to address. Like, again, we've talked, we wouldn't want to focus on tolerating uncertainty because it leaves inferential confusion sort of there, or at the very least, it, 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 it preserves it. It doesn't sort of directly address it. Um, and then imaginal exposures, which is much more a behavioral thing and not an ICBT thing. So, but, but those two things can be addressed and you can still do exposures and, and they can complement each other quite well. And there's a case series that's been published about this, looking at ICBT um, and adding ERP and that it was successful. So yeah, we can complement the, these approaches. Wonderful. I think that's an important, um, yeah, important thing for people to hear. Thank you so much for your time today. And for anybody listening, if they want to find you, how can they find you? Um, well, I, uh, my, the place I work with that I, that I run has a website, it's uh, anxiety and stress.com. It's all spelled out. Or you can email me, Michael Hetty at anxiety and stress.com. Again, all spelled out. And I have an Instagram page, which is at anxiety OCD Maryland, where I infrequently, but hopefully um, cleverly add uh, posts about OCD anxiety disorders and all sorts of other stuff.
Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Christina. Thank you for listening to OCD Whisperer Podcast. If you have any questions you want me to answer in future podcasts or any other comments, you can go to coreresults.com backslash contact backslash. That's coreresults, K-O-R-R-E-S-U-L-T-S dot com backslash contact.